Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art. We come to you every week with a new story about your world. On today's show, we spotlight public health expert and community organizer Oscar Raul Lopez, who's been fighting the HIV epidemic in the Latino community for more than 30 years. We'll talk about his work in public health, his struggles with coming out, the difficulty in getting adequate sexual health education in schools, and the positive influence he's had on many young gays coming up in the 80s, including me. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Save the date! Fiesta DC returns September 21st to the 22nd to the District of Columbia, featuring a downtown parade on Saturday from 1 to 5.30 and an all-day festival on Sunday from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. At Fiesta DC, you can enjoy the colorful costumes and a wide range of music and dance from 20 Latin American nations. This year, the festival will spotlight Colombia. For more information about this free festival, visit FiestaDC.org. That's FiestaDC.org. Picture it. 1989. I was in my high school senior year. In the spring before my graduation, I, along with a group of students, was selected to participate in a teen theater group that would help spread awareness about the dangers of HIV AIDS, drug and alcohol abuse, and unplanned pregnancy. Not only did I enjoy talking about teen issues in my very own live version of an ABC after school special, but I got the tools I needed early in life to make good choices when it came to sex and relationships. The man who provided that blueprint for sexual health success was Oscar Raul Lopez, who helps run the Valley AIDS Council in the Rio Grande Valley, which serves my hometown of Brownsville, Texas. He not only has committed himself to the cause for the last three decades, but Oscar has become the needed change agent in the area to ensure future generations of LGBTQ youth in rural South Texas believe a future exists for them. I want to welcome to the show a great individual in my life uh, who kind of gave me the keys of being a real adult, navigating being a gay Latino in the United States with so much going on um, in the 80s and 90s with regarding HIV AIDS, homophobia, and surviving and being comfortable in your own skin. Oscar Raul Lopez. Hi, Jesse. He is with the Valley AIDS Council here in Harlingen, Texas. He's one of the vice presidents that does a lot for the organization from policy, advocacy, education, and outreach. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to see you after 30, <laughs> 30 plus years. Yeah. 30 years. Now, let's talk about how we first met. Yeah. You were a very young community outreach person for Planned Parenthood who was forming this high school group, Taboo R Us, <laughs> uh, a theater, teen theater group, right. which was a new concept in the late 80s where you're trying to teach uh, HIV, AIDS, uh, prevention, education, putting it out there. Our Texas schools weren't providing adequate information on HIV, AIDS, which was an epidemic by then, 1989, 
it was all over. We're finally talking about it in the government and the media. And you had the task of having to do outreach with Latino kids in the Valley. Tell us about that. Well, I wasn't much older than you all. I was, I was, I think I just turned 19 when I was offered a job with Planned Parenthood of, of Cameron County. And, um, yeah, my job was to go into the 32 school districts that we have in this region and to provide comprehensive science-based sex education, kinder through 12th grade, and to work with the teachers and administrators to teach them how to incorporate HIV education into their curricula. So we would show kindergarten teachers, for example, the importance of explaining to kids that unlike Zika, that you you uh, you didn't have to worry about mosquitoes when it came to HIV, that you didn't have to worry about toilet seats, that as you went into puberty, the, the, the teachers working with older adolescents could talk about, uh, again, French kissing being safe, um, good touches, bad touches, stranger danger, but that as they got older, junior high and high school, where we knew we already had a teen pregnancy issue, to, to be aggressive and assertive about talking about sex education, about young women's rights, a woman's right to say no to, to her partner, how to look out for uh, violence and, and abuse when it was happening with, with young women, uh, to empower them to take care of their own bodies. Um, and, and in addition to that, as an offshoot of that, because you all were educated to go out and be our ambassadors within the various schools, um, we also picked, I think, like a dozen of you all to be in a theater troupe where we would do improvisational theater at assemblies and they covered everything from a young man coming out as gay to his girlfriend to um, a, a teen pregnancy scare. That's what I loved yeah, about our group. everything. Because you were talking about issues that are so relevant today, like consent. Right. And the dangers of mixing alcohol. And this was 1989. 1989, yeah. yes. And you're talking about consent, uh, the fact that there's alcohol and... Substance abuse, substance abuse issues, relationship abuse, yes. everything. We were we covered it all. Yeah, so you kind of gave me sort of like the blueprint for my life oh. of, of what to avoid. But <laughs> another thing that I want to say thank you so much is because back then you didn't talk about it, but we all knew that you were gay. And you were the, probably the first gay man that I personally know, that knew back right. then. And you were not only... A well-dressed guy but an effective speaker a community leader and employed respected it was just like there is a life out there for me I was still in the closet I still didn't know how to identify but when I remember you I remember being and then you and you had that beautiful hair that you still do <laughs> I'm thinking a really stylish nice guy I'm thinking there's a future for me it's not gonna I won't have to have to like marry a woman and try to fit in to society center like so many of our, our yeah. brothers and sisters have had to do down here exactly uh, but thank you for being that example of it gets better before that term was yeah, yeah. even used you provided that visually and, and and with your friendship and with your the way you existed I I don't know what to say about that because I didn't realize I had that role. I just, I grew up on a farm outside of Brownsville, Texas, right on the U.S.-Mexican border. 
Um, my dad was a farmer. Uh, that's the life I knew. Um, I just knew that I didn't want to be a farmer. And, <laughs> and when this job fell in my lap, talking about progressive sexual health issues and progressive politics and everything that has to do with um, our rights as individuals, our bodies, uh, reproductive health, HIV, and gay rights. I thank Joan Dentler, who was overseeing me at the time at Planned Parenthood, as I see her as a role model and someone who, who I was blessed to find in my life because I was a really suicidal kid growing up down here. I tried to commit suicide, I'd say eight times um, wow. from the time I was 15, uh, usually with pills, sometimes car accidents. Um, I just, I knew that I, I was better off dead than ever coming out to my parents. For our listeners, we are talking about an area, four counties in the very southern tip, southernmost tip of Texas. Right on the U.S.-Mexican border. You right can by the see Gulf Mexico, of Mexico from almost any part of the area. Yeah. We're the size of Montana and Vermont combined with 1.7 million people. Mm-hmm. But the primary language is Spanish. 90%. I, I was checking the, uh, the census figures. 90 to 92 percent of these counties are latino and then a third are living below poverty yeah and unfortunately and and and, and we have a hundred and forty four thousand individuals approximately living in colonias and if you don't know what a colonia is colonia is the equivalent of a shanty town unincorporated no running water no electricity no, no electricity i grew up in a colonia did have electricity, but no uh, paved streets or running water. Yeah, so I if had it to... rains, you can't get out. You yeah. can't go to school. <laughs> and these days, thanks to the current administration, ice is parked right outside the colonias. If you attempt to go get groceries, you will be stopped. You will be asked for identification. So what we've created is 144,000 people who are afraid to leave their homes who can no longer provide groceries or maintain their jobs for fear of deportation. So there's food deserts now mm-hmm. that they live in and they're trapped in. And it is a horrific, horrific time and and sadly a horrific area to live in due in large part to the politics of, of anti-immigration. In the past three decades, when I first met you, you had just started in that position. And you've lived in other places, New York oh, yeah, City, yeah. but you've stayed uh, in the health profession working in community health in the last three decades that you've worked on HIV prevention um, what has changed and what has remained an obstacle for you to reduce the rates of HIV infection in the valley South Texas so as, as you said from here I worked with homeless youth and and the gay community in Austin for several mm-hmm. years almost mm-hmm. a decade then I moved to Washington DC to do national work um, and then I worked for the feds doing um, national work, but I also got to work in Puerto Rico and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, the Virgin Islands. And then moved to New York City to do uh, reproductive health justice work nationwide, especially in the South. Um, before we and before doing actually work in New York City uh, on HIV and with working closely with our legislators to pass progressive laws for New York that would make HIV testing something you could opt out of instead of opting into, like like we have in Texas before I moved back here. And I can tell you, when I moved to the Valley, it was as if time had stopped. 
and I was right back in 1989. Square one. Square one, except that it had gotten worse. Um, when I lived here, I had access to 32 school districts. I could go in and teach kinder through 12th grade comprehensive science-based factual sex education. Now, when I moved here, it was not being taught anywhere because we'd lost Governor Anna Richards, who had been a Democrat and a progressive, liberal, fantastic governor. And then we'd been followed by George Bush Jr. and then uh, by Rick Perry and now um, Abbott. All conservative, right-wing Republicans. Regressive on sexual health education. Extremely so. And so there is no sex education taught anywhere in the state of Texas. Uh, in progressive cities like Austin, there's some, but minimal. And so we went from every kid knowing their body functions, how it worked, what puberty was all about, how to say no, how to protect themselves, what to do in case they thought they might be pregnant, how to prevent those pregnancies, and how to prevent HIV, to thousands of high schools being built specifically for pregnant teens to house them in, to move them out of regular schools so we can hide them because it's better that the regular kids don't see the pregnant ones and therefore they don't have an issue and they don't see how wonderful it is to be a young mom, etc. But these same girls are now having second, third babies while they're still in high school also. So it, it is just horrific what's happened to sex education in schools. Right now, uh, over the last few years, I've been blessed to work with Donna ISD. They're right smack in the middle of this region and they gave us access after we went through their school board um, and their, um, what, what they call their, their um, it, it, it's a council of parents, uh, parishioners, a priest, a police officers who approved the curriculum and said, yes, our kids need this. Thanks to them, we now teach 6th through 12th grade comprehensive science-based education in this one school alone and over the last few years we do 10,000 students a year and we bring with us a teen who's now 20 who uh, contracted HIV at 17 to tell them you don't want this this is how you can stop it but one out of 32 school districts way many steps back wow. yeah what has uh you have a lot of outreach programs. What's been the success rate about talking about PrEP? PrEP, for those of you who don't know, is a pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a pill that I take daily. I take daily too. Yeah, <laughs> as a sexually active gay man, I take this pill on a daily basis to prevent myself from contracting HIV. It's very similar to what a woman might take for birth control. Yeah. Um, we are required, should be, going to get lab works, have our liver checked every three months to make sure there's no adverse effects. But as long as there aren't, it protects me from contracting HIV, uh, which, which, God, after having survived the plague of the 80s and burying so many of my friends, I don't ever want to have. But for my friends who have HIV, you know, life has gotten better. There's now one pill a day regimens, etc. But if you can avoid getting it, why the hell not? And I take this medication. Um, so I and many of my staff who are on PrEP and many of our friends do advertising, billboards, outreach on Grindr and the dating apps. We go out to bars and clubs. I just saw one of your vehicles. Yeah, wrapped and in PrEP advertising. Wrapped in PrEP. And it's, if you could just imagine a van with like several large photos on the side of the van with individuals 
with their faces and their tongues sticking out with a blue pill right in the smack center of that and that blue, tongue. The blue pill says prep on it in exactly. English and Spanish. Yeah. Because, yeah, if you can't afford prep, because uh, it is expensive, up to $3,000 a month if you don't have That's insurance, expensive, yeah. we will help pay for it because it's so much less expensive to pay for that pill than to treat you for HIV for the rest of your life if you're uninsured. So it's in the community and the nation's best interest to advocate for this medication. And thank God it's available and, and we work hard to get it out there. The challenge with Latinos is that we're not used to taking a medicine for something we don't have. It's like, well, why should I take cough syrup if I don't have a cough? Exactly. So getting first, we have to help them understand the preventative purpose of the pill and that while it might be a nuisance or you, uh, it's a pain in the ass to, you know, every three months every go day. get lab work. Yeah. How much worse would it be if you had HIV? Yeah. So we have to change the whole mindset. You work diligently with youth trying to teach them how to prevent the transmission of HIV and you got your work cut out for you in the Rio Grande mm-hmm. Valley. Uh, yeah. Almost 2,000 cases. We, we have uh, almost 3,000 cases of HIV and one out of every five new positives that we get a month is a young person uh, between the ages of 13 and 24. In a recent um, news article, we interviewed you on this, on this topic. You said it's now time for parents to start talking about it. Oh, it's been time. Because at the beginning of this episode, Our parents should have talked to us about, you and me, about this. It's almost like when it first broke out in the 80s, I can understand parents not wanting, not being able to talk about it because they didn't know about it back then. I I don't blame my mom for not talking about HIV AIDS because the thing was still new. People were still like learning everything every year, a little bit more about it. But after three decades... It's time that the responsibility goes to the parent and say, hey, these are the basics that you got to know. I mean, who, so in a perfect world, who loves your children more than mom and dad or grandma? That's who raises them. That's who wants the best for them. That's who the responsibility should land on. But the reality is that most parents, no one talked to them about sex and they're worried about what they're going to say. Will I be saying too much? And if I say this, is it the equivalent of giving permission for them to go out and be promiscuous? And the answer is hell no, because if you don't do it, they're still going to do what they're going to do. But with that, you providing the basic information, then you're putting them out there with a loaded gun, not knowing right from wrong. And sadly, unlike you and I, who grew up in the days of of VCRs Mm -hmm. and beaded curtains wherever the pornography was held (laughs) behind the regular video store, kids today now have grown up getting their sex education through the internet, especially young men, Mm -hmm. uh, but not exclusively young men. Open up any laptop that belongs to a kid or their phone and do a, a real genuine search and you will find how much porn they're watching, what they have access to. And the norm for many teens nowadays is to think that gangbangs and three-on-one and and group sex is, is normal. That aggressiveness, that choking a woman is normal. We cannot allow our young men or our young women to grow up thinking that that's what sex is. If you do that and you love it and you're a consenting adult, blessings, more power to you. Yeah. But if we're talking kids... They should not go out thinking that it's okay to get drunk and to have someone who you don't love or care about take advantage of you simply because that's what sex is. It is not. And if it's happening to your children or if it might happen, then step up 
be the parent that you chose to be and do something about it. Amazing. Good advice. Good, good advice. Um, now let's switch topics. <laughs> to something <laughs> less, less, less. Well, no, process. it's just like <laughs> I, I have all these questions that I wanted to talk to you. And the next one is just how you do it. Uh, you've been an out gay man and a community leader in the Rio Grande Valley for quite some time. In this mainly rural, Hispanic, and majority Catholic community, how did you manage to build a community around you that accepts your life? Because, yeah. like I said, you're a visible person. You're in the media. You're talking about this issue. You're talking about gay rights, uh, uh, HIV AIDS, and all that. So when you go down to the local store where you go have dinner at one of the local restaurants, you are known as that out gay guy. Oh, yeah. You see me on TV all the time. Yeah. So how uh, does it? it it's interesting. I, I mentioned earlier that I was a suicidal teen. Yeah. Um, going to a Catholic school, no less. But there were two teachers, Joan Dentler, who taught me history, and Eileen Sullivan, who taught me English literature, who had read and appreciated a series of books called Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin. And they, I, my English teacher, gave me a copy of, of Tales of the City uh, to me and to my girlfriend at the time, Echo uh, Uribe, who I, I still keep in touch with, who I love. And um, and we devoured that book. And then we were like, oh my God, it's amazing. And they're like, well, if you love that one, here's further tales yeah. of that city. <laughs> and there, there was a whole series of books. And I could actually talk to these women who were lay teachers at my Catholic school about what was happening to these characters who were gay and bi and trans. And that got me to stop killing myself because I was like, you mean there's others like me? And yes. there's this place called San Francisco. Yes. So I thought, I'll have to move to San Francisco. But the books also taught me, they were my first lesson when I was 16 and 17, about HIV and losing a loved one to AIDS. And thank God for those... Sorry. Thank God for those books, because over the next few years, I did lose dozens and dozens of my friends. Yes. And at the time here in South Texas, parents did not want their children back when they died of AIDS. Parents would not go feed or brush or bathe their children when they were hospitalized. The funeral homes would not bury them. And many times the hospitals would hand us um, our patients, our clients, wrapped in black trash bags. We would put them in the trunks of cars and drive them to the only funeral home that would cremate them. And then we would try to get the ashes back to the families and many times the families didn't want them. Um, that's the world that Tales of the City prepared me for. Yeah. So thank God for Armistead Maupin, yeah. who I've been able to befriend on Facebook. Um, because he prepared me for the worst of the worst, but also showed me that relationships were possible and that a family, sorry, I'll find my voice. A family didn't have to be the family you were born into, but it could be a family that you chose. Yes. And many times who you choose to be your family is stronger and better and more beautiful than the one you were born into. I am blessed to have gotten both. I have a huge family that I chose and a wonderful, adoring Latino Catholic family that loves me unconditionally. But 
I'm the rarity in the valley that has gotten both. And I knew that as a kid, and I know that as a, a 50-year-old man. So, yeah, coming back to the valley was a slap in the face of how homophobic it was. But what I realized over the last now seven years of living here is that as Latinos, when we are educated on these issues, we are so ready for this information. We so want to love our children unconditionally. Yeah. We so believe that God gave us nothing that we can't handle. Yeah. And as Latinos, the devotion to our families and our children is so great that when we're provided with the tools for how to talk to our kids, and when we also have a role model that can say, and not just me, I, I have a hard time seeing myself as a role model, but when we show them that there's a community yeah. of healthy, normal, tax-paying, loving, family-building people who are queer, they open up their hearts and their eyes too. We just had a, a party for a beautiful little girl who's just turned nine. She started transitioning at four years of age. Amazing. Her mom and dad have been a, a blessing that from day one. It was hard for them, but they took it. They fought school districts. They fought their principals. And that child is growing up as a normal, beautiful girl who just celebrated her party, surrounded by a trans adults who threw it, the party for her. Uh, and that's the new normal on the border, that we are, we are just as progressive as Austin, if not even more so, because we are Latinos and you can't take us down. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we just needed role models, voices, and a, and, and a network to help us. And that's what we've built over the last seven years. We started off with four organizations. Uh, we called ourselves the South Texas Equality Project. It was myself, the Mount Calvary Church, Stonewall Democrats chapter, and, um, and, and we basically started having monthly meetings and saying, one of the issues is that our people only gather in the dark at night at gay bars. Um, and for those of you who are younger, gay bars are a place we used to go to to meet <laughs> before, before the internet. Yeah. But we only had that as a gathering place. So we said, we need to do something in the daytime. Let's throw a pride event at a public park. Let's, pick, let's put in Harlingen, which is right smack in the middle of this region called the Valley. And we'll do it like from 3 to 10 and see who shows up. So Pride in the Park was born. 12 booths that were like carnival booths. It looked yeah. like a church carnival. Yes. Uh, stuffed animals and children were welcome. There'd be entertainment. Uh, we Instead of playing bingo, we played Chalupa Loteria, yes. which is very traditional with Mexicans. And 300 people showed up. And I was bowled over. I was like, oh my God, 300 people. This is amazing. So the next year, it grew to 2,000 people. Wow. And the year after that, 5,000 people. And this year, and we've been moving it. We had to move it indoors because it's 115 degrees, whether you do it in, in, in June or in October. <laughs> we moved it indoors. And this year, we had approximately 15,000 people. 15,000. Including adults and children it was of a all family ages. Event. Grandmothers are there playing Loteria with a drag queen being the one calling out the cards. <laughs> uh, RuPaul's girls. We had five people, Bob the Drag Queen and Tatiana and all these people wow. hitting the Tatiana stage. Tatiana came over to Tatiana DC. Here. All right. Uh, plus our local girls who yeah. auditioned and made the cut to be on stage. We had Drag Queen Storytelling Hour happening on one corner where little kids could go and hear uh, a book being read to them about the 
uh, that was inclusive of a little gay bunny or a swan yeah. who was queer and found its way. Yeah. Um, and and all of this with a hundred exhibitors, and every year we've been blessed since for the past four years, the Catholic Church has sent one of their priests who used to do AIDS ministry for many years in, in New York. He has come onto the stage and done a blessing um, because there's a family here who lost one of their sons to the yes. Pulse Massacre. And now we've had a young woman named Kimberly Avila who's been missing for two years, transgender, kidnapped mm-hmm. from our downtown Brownsville office. He's blessed both their families. And then before he blesses the whole thousands of people gathered, he asks us on behalf of the Catholic Church for forgiveness. Wow. For what they've done. And then he blesses the masses. And for a long time, we thought, well, we'll get one of the, the ministers from Mount Calvary Church, our, our all-gay inclusive church, yeah. to do it. But the argument was made, and it was the right one, that because so many of us are Catholic or recovering Catholics, yeah. it had to come from a priest. So to have a priest up there in his black outfit with the white collar saying, I'm sorry, and you are, as God made you, God does not make mistakes, and then blessing everybody... Imagine thousands of Latinos so crying in unison. Yeah, it was. It's 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 a beautiful thing that we've created. Yeah, that I never would have thought of as a kid growing up, or even as an adult in 2012 when we first thought this up. Yeah, would have ever occurred. I was surprised when this was making the rounds five years ago that this was becoming a big event, and then this summer, 2019. <laughs> Brownsville had its own market square pride. I remember going to the Brownsville Herald website and just putting up. I was one of the very first ones to mm-hmm. comment saying, thank you. Thank you for this. Yeah. And then I saw like four negative comments. And I, it just broke my heart because it kind of reminded me, oh, yeah, yeah, the valley. But no. An hour later, because I started getting notifications, the positive comments took over. Right allies were showing up like questioning you know who are you to be saying judging others you know and it was just so like oh it's 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 a good thing it's changing it's a good thing you know so thank you for being that person the change maker that was able to bring this new community a new event to celebrate a different part of our community here in the Rio Grande Valley Thank you. I mean, obviously, it's not a one-man sort of job. Yeah. Because I'm I'm blessed to be surrounded by my staff at Valley AIDS Council who break their backs to make that event happen. Because we know if we can stop homophobia, transphobia, and self-hatred, and people can love themselves, at the end of the day, you're going to want to protect yourself from something like HIV. Because people will ask me, what the heck does one have to do with the other? But if you can't love yourself, then why would you ever want to protect yourself? So... That's why we started doing it. And our partners are all in it for various reasons, whether it's because they are promoting that God loves us all or their P flag and they want to make sure that other parents are on board and know that there's a support system for them. But And, and our, our political groups are involved because we have to get our Latinos out there registered to vote and make a difference. The, I love the, how your, your, your organization has, like I had mentioned, it's interconnected with all these other movements and how at the end of the day it does help the community get access to health care and day. HIV prevention. Yeah, whether whether immigration, reproductive rights, 
it's all tied together and folks don't see that when 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 several groups go up to our capital here or to dc to advocate it's because it's hiv advocacy day or women's reproductive health advocacy day honey at the end of the day we're all in it together and latinos are the sleeping giant if anybody who's listening and is brown i don't care what shade of brown you are <laughs> or someone thinks you're brown then join us because the reality is we are sleeping giant. If we all registered to vote and actually got up and got to the polls, it would be a game changer because we are the majority of all the minorities now. And we have to motivate our grandma to register, our nephews, and tell them, educate them on the issues and get them to the polls. Because only then will the rhetoric, the hateful, hateful rhetoric that we've been hearing about the, the four women who make up the squad going back to their countries of origin when they <laughs> three of them were born here. Yeah. That ridiculousness trickles down to people in my community thinking that they're not safe to leave their homes. Mm-hmm. So it may happen in D.C. and it, you might think it's an issue between these four women or the Democrats versus Donald Trump. It's bigger than that. It it's affects the her. grandma afraid to go to the grocery store. It affects her grandchildren from being afraid to come out. And it affects the way teachers talk to immigrant kids. It it the whole horridness of of anti-immigrant rhetoric has to stop. Well, thank you for putting that call to action for people to register to vote. How can he, people help your organizations that you're tied with? Are there websites that they could visit so they could learn more information yeah, if, and donate if they want to? Yeah, if you just Google valleyaidscouncil.org, mm-hmm. valley, V-A-L-L-E-Y, valleyaidscouncil.org, and trust me, try to get rid of the name AIDS because yeah. AIDS does not exist necessarily anymore. It's HIV. Valleyaidscouncil.org. Uh, there's, there's a way through PayPal there to make a donation. You can also find Valley AIDS Council and... Uh, I would even say uh, help us with the South Texas Equality Project. That's step. South Texas Equality Project is the sponsor, the organizer of Pride in the Park. And and we also march with our immigrants uh, and our farm workers for justice. We march with women for the reproductive, reproductive rights. They're the umbrella that allows us to put our foot everywhere we need to and want to because um, because we don't have to rely on federal funds or state funds or anything like that. That's through community donations. So you can go to the South Texas Equality Project step on Facebook and 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 make a donation through there. Any any bit helps. But if nothing else, just reach out, send us well wishes because those notes of encouragement are what keeps us going when our local congressman, Eddie Lucio, the second uh, with a slick back hair who should know better <laughs> comes out as the only Democrat to vote with all his Republican buddies uh, against um, women's health and uh, for issues that he should know better than to support. So if nothing else, make your voice heard to us. Just say hi and let us know that we have friends and allies all over the country. It would be a blessing. Thank you so much, Oscar, for giving your time and for taking a trip down memory lane with me (laughs) it's a beautiful beautiful life that you're living thank you so much for changing so many other lives in the process well thank you for doing this because what a surprise (laughs) god bless